Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And it's been a while since we've touched base with Epic and their fight in antitrust court against Apple. But it seemed like a good time to catch back up as the internet has discovered both Epic and Apple have put forth to the court their proposed findings of fact and conclusions of law in big old documents we're going to take a look at here. This video is going to be divided into two parts. We're going to talk about those court filings, not at length, not in depth because they are so long, but on a particular point that has popped up in the various forums and on my timeline that I have seen with respect to these documents. And then also a big bit of news that Epic announced about an hour or two ago this morning that helps to frame why the news items on these particular court filings maybe aren't that big of a deal. So if you haven't been watching Virtual Legality before, you should know this is going to be a video that goes in our an antitrust Epic playlist that started when Epic decided to change exactly how Fortnite operated on both the Android and iOS ecosystems and lawsuits developed that are going to be fought, at least between Epic and Apple, as of next month, provided there isn't a delay, and we will certainly be checking in on that story. It's about 30 episodes long right now, so if you like this story, if you're interested in it, please do check out the playlist because it's a lot of content. But for now, one thing I want to talk about is how the internet has kind of grabbed on to this one specific fact that was discussed in these court documents. And I'm going to use this IGN headline, they are not the only ones by far, to highlight exactly what was described. Epic is losing hundreds of millions of dollars as it battles to gain market share from Steam. Exclusives don't come cheap. And this was in forums, this was in my timeline, I got DM'd asking about this, about why Epic is losing money, why Apple cares that Epic is losing money, what it means for the case, and I thought I would talk to you all about it today. Now, these documents, which you can go check out, I've linked the uploads in the description to this video, are very, very, very long. You can see here page one of 323. This is what Apple wants the court to find. You go over to what Epic wants the court to find, and it's out of 365. So combined, the lawyers here have put together something like 700 pages of material for the court and the court's clerks to read through and for the lawyers to respond to. If you ever wondered exactly why I said this was going to be a multi-million dollar litigation and the lawyers were going to spend more time on it than maybe was warranted, this is why. When you've got a litigation like this, where both sides have effectively billions of dollars on the line, you can afford to pay lawyers a lot and you're going to pay lawyers a lot. And so you've got 700 pages of material here. This is not even the least of what has already been filed with the court. We're not talking about really the pregame proceedings here because there's so much to filter through and it's all going to be coalesced into that trial and ultimately the court's opinion in any event. But the reason these headlines popped up, the reason this was grabbed onto uh, by places like Reset Era and other forums, Reddit, I think I saw it on IGN, of course, and other mainline publications, is because Apple put it in their findings of fact. Epic Games Store is unprofitable and not comparable to the App Store. As noted above, EGS is not profitable and will not be profitable for at least multiple years, if ever. Epic lost around $181 million on EGS in 2019. Epic projected to lose around $273 million on EGS in 2020. 
Indeed, Epic committed $444 million in minimum guarantees for 2020 alone. Those guarantees to bring exclusives over to the platform. Guaranteed money that is going to be given by Epic to that developer slash publisher, even if their game doesn't sell enough copies to recoup that investment on the part of Epic. While projecting, Epic was, even with significant growth, only $401 million in revenue for that year. Again, the minimum guarantee concept, the exclusive concept, I think most of us recognize is a marketing move by Epic. It's not something that will last forever. Much like we've talked about in this space, the fact that Microsoft is investing a lot of money in bringing exclusives and content over to its Game Pass, and that isn't the long-run plan for Game Pass, at least not until its subscription base and its money coming in and generating covers those costs. It's an investment play. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Epic acknowledges that trend will continue in the immediate future. Epic projects to lose around $139 million in 2021. You'll note that that's actually better than the 273 and the 181. So if you're Epic, you're trending in the right direction. As Epic has acknowledged, the incentives and investments it has made in an attempt to grow EGS will result in unrecouped costs. That includes at least $330 million in unrecouped costs from minimum guarantees alone. At best, Epic does not expect EGS to have a cumulative gross profit before 2027. Now we're going to talk about language usage here and how litigants operate, but note what they are saying here from the Apple side. Cumulative gross profit. They won't be able to cover the unrecruited losses, the other losses that they're experiencing at least until 2027. They aren't saying here, and you'll see Epic kind of counter a little bit with a different calculation that the service itself won't be profitable in a given year before that time, 2027. As a result, Epic has funded and must continue to fund EGS through funding and capital raised by other parts of its business, which have been incredibly profitable for several years. And I think if we've been following this story, as I suspect you have, if you find yourself here in virtual legality, you know that this is in fact the case. Epic is using what I tend to call its Fortnite money, to fund other aggressive initiatives into spaces like PC game sales. And of course, it doesn't hurt that by going out there with Epic Game Store, saying it's 12%, saying the 12% itself is optional and that you can do your own payment services was a prelude to bringing a case like this against Apple to say to the court, hey, a different storefront can exist. Apple is being a big meanie. They are being a monopolist. They are not having competitive pricing, which is ultimately where this argument comes to. And as we'll see from the Epic side of things, they acknowledge that it's not profitable yet, but they say an important point. First, they say Epic expects EGS to become profitable by 2023. This is on page 141 for those of you following along at home. EGS is not yet profitable at its current scale and stage of development because, why do they say? It has front-loaded its marketing and user acquisition costs to gain market share. They know from day one, if there's five people looking at the Epic Game Store, they can't sell those five people enough games to make this endeavor profitable. So they go and they market the platform and they try to get that market share to crack into what was, I think, Steam's 90% market share in the PC game sales market. Importantly, in the second point, they also say the following. EGS's 12% transaction fee is sufficient to cover the variable costs of running EGS, including payment processing, customer service, and bandwidth. Now, it's interesting that it actually limits it to variable costs. This means that when there's a sale, 12% covers enough for them to do that at a profitable level. It doesn't talk about fixed costs. But what's important about that point is the counterpunch that could come from Apple. It's not in their documents as of yet, as far as I know. 
that what Epic is doing here is effectively predatory. And if you aren't familiar with the term predatory or predatory pricing, there's a notion in the law, and the U.S. judiciary hasn't loved this argument in the past, but Apple could bring it if they were so inclined, that says effectively, if you're a big giant conglomerate corporation and you got one profit center and you try to break into another market or another geography, say a foreign market, you could potentially use your profit center to go and undercut all the competition in that area to somehow benefit you, generally speaking, to try to become a monopolist. This is what we talk about when we talk about Sherman Antitrust Act and illegal monopolistic behavior, trying to gain that monopoly through anti-competitive means. So you can imagine if Epic was making a lot of money from Fortnite and they came in and they said, well, not only are we not going to charge you 30% developers to operate on the Epic Game Store, we're going to pay you an additional 10%. We're going to take it only as losses for some period of time. Then the courts and the civilians can acknowledge that that isn't something that's long lasting. So it is in effect predatory to try to go and gather market share and to attack someone else's competitive business model on a functional basis that doesn't work. So Epic Game Store is coming out here and saying, look, 12% covers actually operating this thing. If you have any concerns about that, your honor, we aren't trying to just undercut Apple with the Fortnite money and potentially other funding avenues, which we will talk about in this video. So you don't have to worry about that. But we do acknowledge it isn't profitable. We have front loaded our marketing costs, but we expect it to be profitable in the next couple of years. And their response over at Apple is, well, they might, but they don't expect it to actually be worth anything until at least 2027. Now, the other question, as I raised at the top of this video that people have asked me is, why is this an argument at all? This is a case where Epic says that Apple shouldn't be allowed to keep things off of its app store and shouldn't be allowed to mandate that things that are sold through its app store and in particular in-app payment processing, the sale of V-Bucks in things like Fortnite shouldn't be mandated to go through Apple as well. What does the Epic Game Store have to do with this? And the answer is really in this section in its entirety from Apple. Epic Game Store is not profitable. That's an important piece. And it's not comparable to the App Store. Hey, they don't have the right launcher performance improvements. Two years after it launched, it's still missing critical features. They don't have a dedicated support team. All these various things. What is Apple trying to do here? Well, they're trying to respond to what they anticipate is an argument coming from Epic because it was an argument they made at the preliminary injunction level that says something along the lines of, Apple is getting 30% for nothing. It isn't doing anything. And 30% is a monopolist price. It's obviously over what a competitive market would achieve. A competitive market, Epic would argue, would achieve 12%. And in fairness, as we pointed out in the various other videos we've done in this playlist, that actually doesn't make a ton of sense on its own because Epic's argument against Apple, at least as presented to the court, is something like, hey, 30% is 10 times higher than what they should be charging. It should be 3% like Chase or, or like Stripe or like something else that is just payment processing where Epic actually, even in their own findings of fact, and you can read through the hundreds of pages if you're so inclined, says, well, we provide things like bandwidth. We provide things like availability and storefront access and other services that people want, which of course is exactly what Apple does. Uh, and part of the fight in these documents is whether or not Apple is any good at it. We might do another video, in fact, in this playlist that talks about Epic bringing up depositions and interview items 
with Apple personnel where they're trying to establish that Apple claims these things, that they are more secure, that they have all these other benefits that they give to consumers, but that they don't actually achieve those things. They've got some interesting interview snippets from Apple people that say, well, we can't possibly go in and look at all the code and we can't do these various other things. And so Epic says, well, what Apple is claiming here is effectively illusory. And so they don't earn their 30% that way. It's an interesting fight, but that's why it is being had. Epic says, you don't deserve 30%. Apple says, well, your store isn't a great example of why we don't deserve 30% because it's a loss leader right now. It might not ever turn a profit and you don't do half the things that we do in any event. It's one of those findings of fact and findings of law and all that good stuff that the court is ultimately going to have to sort through. And if you're thinking to yourself with all these documents and more that you don't really want to be a judge presiding over a case like this, I couldn't possibly blame you. Now, as a bit of a surprise for this video, one thing I do want to say is Tim Sweeney, who I have commented on on Twitter and in virtual reality a lot, put out a series of tweets with respect to this type of article from IGN and from others. And I agree with him entirely. He says, that's right. And it has proven to be a fantastic success in reaching gamers with great games and a fantastic investment into growing the business. And he brings up some infographics about Epic Game Store. Apple spins this as losing money, but spending now in order to build a great profitable business in the future is exactly what investment is. It's equally true whether you're building a factory, a store, or a game. And Tim Sweeney is 100% correct. In fact, he's so correct here that I can't help but give him the point that Epic Game Store is an investment right now, but it is worth noting that before it gains that maturity, before it actually shows that profitability, that people are willing to go there, that it doesn't have to spend inordinate amounts of money to bring eyeballs into the landscape, Apple is also correct in saying it isn't yet comparable to the App Store, that the Epic Game Store might well be profitable, might well be a huge success in the future, but judge, you can't today take it on its face that this business model is going to work because it's not working yet. It's effectively a temporal concept, and it would mean that Epic would have a stronger argument on these particular points if it had waited a couple of years. As we've talked about in virtual legality, Epic has made some choices with bringing this case in the manner that they did, in the way that they did, with the public relations capacity that they did, that I don't think are strategically the strongest. They are, of course, allowed to run their company however they see fit. But I do think Epic had a better case against Apple with some slight modifications to how they presented it. And unfortunately, this is the case you're going to get and might well wind up being a landmark decision that decides things one way or the other and could affect a lot of folks. The other thing that Ars Technica here in their article mentions, which is also very accurate, is that when we talk about $190 million or 220 or 330 at the Epic level, it's nothing. Put those together, as Ars Technica says, and you have a company making $3.85 billion in gross profit on $9.625 billion in revenue, according to court documents. $3.85 billion in profit means that $330 million or even 390 million or 560 million isn't actually going to change much of their operational capacity. This is a marketing expense. It's a huge amount of money for you or I or anyone else. But as a company operating at this level, it's simply not. So this is a story that's a bit of a non-story, except that Apple and Epic are rightly fighting about it for what is an important point about whether 30% is a monopoly price. Remember, as we've talked about in virtual reality, there's two main kind of cruxes of the argument that Epic has to win. And one is that 
Apple has a monopolist position and they have to make it so that it's the iOS app control, which is going to be difficult in and of itself because it's Apple's own product. And then if they win that, they also have to show that Apple is acting illegally with that monopoly power in order to win the day. And ultimately what they're looking to do is get their Epic Game Store on the iOS and only charge themselves and potentially charge other developers that come in through their game store what they want to charge them and make themselves a lot of money. On that point, Epic is in this litigation to potentially make itself a lot of money, and investors have taken notice. The news item from earlier this morning was announcing a $1 billion funding round to support Epic's long-term vision for the metaverse. April 13th, 2021. Today, Epic Games announced that it completed a $1 billion round of funding, which will allow the company to support future growth opportunities. Epic's equity valuation is now $28.7 billion. Now to kind of unpack that a little bit, what that means mathematically is that after the billion dollars was raised, after Epic issued stock in exchange for a billion dollars, the valuation of the company was just south of $29 billion, which means that they sold roughly three and a half percent of their company for a billion dollars to give you some kind of notion of the scope of what folks think that Epic Games is worth. And these folks are not just mom and pop investors. No, as they say in the next paragraph, this round includes an additional $200 million strategic investment from Sony Group Corporation, which builds on the already close relationship between the two companies and reinforces their shared mission to advance the state of the art in technology, entertainment, and socially connected online services. More on Sony in just a second. But these are big name investors with big strategic aims. You've got Appaloosa, Fidelity Management, T. Rowe Price Associates, Teacher Pension Boards, KKR, BlackRock, huge giant investor groups that because Epic isn't public and is doing these direct offerings are investing at what Epic wants to offer their stock at and is finding it to be worthwhile at a billion dollars buys you three and a half percent of this endeavor. Epic continues to have only a single class of common stock outstanding, and CEO Tim Sweeney remains the controlling shareholder of the company. I want to express to you all how unusual this is. It's great if you can get it. If you're Tim Sweeney, bully for you. You have managed this like a pro. But in general, when institutional investment comes into your company, when you deal with parties like Sony and Fidelity and T. Rowe and KKR and all these other things, you generally have to give them benefits. You have to give them a different series of stock, which gives them veto power and management rights. And they didn't have to a year ago. They didn't have to for some time now because of Fortnite and Epic's success with the Unreal Engine. But it means that these companies are buying in at a very high valuation for a very small percentage of the profits and potential governance rights with not any bit of the safety net that we would ordinarily expect in a raise of this kind. Epic is undoubtedly very well thought of in large sections of the investment community. Sony is a strategic investor, but a lot of these are financial investors. And that really goes to show you behind the scenes from what we can see kind of above the surface of the sea that the iceberg of Epic is very well thought of and whatever it's pitching to these investors with respect to the metaverse and advancements in technology and the potential profitability of those advancements is resonating very well with a lot of these companies. As Tim Sweeney says, we are grateful to our new and existing investors who support our vision for Epic in the metaverse. Their investment will help accelerate our work around building connected social experiences in Fortnite, Rocket League, and Fall Guys 
while empowering game developers and creators with Unreal Engine Epic Online services and the Epic Game Store. Again, Metaverse in the headline, Metaverse in Tim Sweeney's very first line on this topic. Sony now says Epic continues to deliver revolutionary experiences through their array of cutting-edge technologies that support creators in gaming and across the digital entertainment industry. We are excited to strengthen our collaboration to bring new entertainment experiences to people around the world. I strongly believe that this aligns with our purpose to fill the world with emotion through the power of creativity and technology. Now, that's all kind of smoke uh, around a deal of this type, but it is certainly a significant one, especially when you consider that this is Sony putting $200 million in today. Sony put in $250 million in the summer of last year. Now, one interesting part about that investment, and we talked about it here in Virtual Legality, is that it took place before Epic's big move against Apple and Android and against walled gardens in broad strokes. And that was always an interesting point. How did Sony feel about this from Epic's side of things? How did Sony feel about being involved, helping to fund a lawsuit that could potentially impact its own PlayStation walled garden environment? And as it looks right now, whether or not Sony doesn't like Epic's lawsuit is effectively a non-starter as a discussion point because even if they don't like it, they think there is value in what Epic is showing them and in this strategic partnership and potentially Unreal 5 and even more that it's worth it even if Epic winds up doing some interesting things with business models. Now, it's also worth noting that as we looked at the various bills that Epic as the leaders of the Coalition for App Fairness has been bringing in various states across the United States, that these bills in North Dakota, these bills in Arizona, all had very specific statutory carve-outs that maybe wouldn't work long-term, but were clearly aimed at saying, we're going to mandate that Apple open up its iOS and that mobile developers open up their iOS, and that's going to be fine. But for purposes of this law, the statute doesn't include video game consoles, basically. It was obviously written a little bit more legal easy, but that was what they put into these laws. And that's an important point, because if we go back and we look at how this case has proceeded and how it is likely to proceed as a discussion point, Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, the other walled garden operators are very much at issue here. Or as the judge says, Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft all operate similar walled gardens or closed platform models as Apple, whereby the hardware operating system, digital marketplace, and IAPs are all exclusive to the platform owner. As such, a final decision should be better informed regarding the impact of the walled garden model, given the potential for significant and serious ramifications for Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft and their video game platforms. This is an open issue, and it's one of the more interesting aspects of an announcement like this this morning. Knowing what Epic is bringing, knowing that there's a litigation and a trial next month, knowing all of this, Sony still thinks the value in what Epic is bringing is more valuable than what it could potentially lose in the destruction of its walled garden environment. It also could be evaluating what it thinks Epic's chances of success on that point are. But certainly when we talk about these issues, when we talk about Epic Loot and all this money that Epic Games has, both from Fortnite and its investors, it's worth noting that this all is a part and parcel of this continuing litigation and adversarial compact that Epic has against most of the big tech giants and in various areas of the world. The interesting thing I found about the end of this press release, right, we're talking about Sony generally being okay with Epic and thinking that the metaverse is a good idea and the advancements in technology is a good idea is that it ends with a link to Epic filing a complaint about Apple over in the UK. 
And again, Epic's theory of the case, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, would, by implication, have necessary ramifications for the wall garden model, as the judge herself says in this given case. So it's very interesting to see Sony double down, put more money into Epic. And it's very interesting from the outside to think of what Epic is pitching and what it's going to do with that money. Certainly as a gamer and someone that likes technology, I do think Epic is doing a lot of great things with Fortnite, with its aggression on marketing and licensing and all these various things. And certainly these investors agree and think that Epic is in for a bold and bright future and one that I will hopefully get a chance to see. Uh, I disagree with Epic's theory of the case in Epic versus Apple, but I do like a lot of their products. I do like their aggression and trying to move forward and and get in a ground hold on Steam distribution and things like that. So I do think it's going to be worth following now and in the future. This has been Virtual Legality for today. Please consider supporting the channel. This is a Great channel, I think, for discussions of business and law and video games, pop culture, movies, music, and more. We've got a Patreon, Streamlabs, a store down below, or if none of that appeals to you, just subscribe, ring the bell, tell your friends that we're having this conversation. Every little bit helps because I have no idea when or if YouTube is going to recommend a video, squash a video, who knows? YouTube's a giant black box, and so I very much appreciate everybody that takes that additional step to help the channel get out there to more and more folks. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching, and if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.